Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. My name is Josh, and as usual, please do us a solid like, share, subscribe. Tell your friends about this. Help this channel grow uh, and get it out all over the internet as much as we can. Today, we're looking at First John chapter five or First John chapter one, verses five through ten. And with me, I have a buddy of mine and the preacher of the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas, as well as an instructor at the Southwest School of Bible Study, Cody Westbrook. Cody, will you introduce yourself to our audience, please? Yeah, sure. Glad to be here, Josh. Thanks for uh, the opportunity. Uh, I am Cody Westbrook, and as Josh said, I preach at the Southwest Church of Christ. And in, I think, two, maybe three weeks, it'll make eight years since we moved here. Graduated from the school in 2009, met my wife uh, while I was a student. We got married in 2011, and we moved around a little bit, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and then made it back here in 2015. Um, enjoying the work. Life is good. Glad to glad to be able to study with you. Cool, man. A little jealous of, of the fact you're in Texas. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I've been yeah. for a while, but yeah. uh, Texas Cody is a was, place to live. Cody was a student when my dad taught there. Uh, I grew close to my dad. That's how I met him. And uh, my dad thought a lot of him. And uh, if you hold, you know, like me, my dad's opinion in high regard uh cody doesn't disappoint so we're glad he's on excited to get uh through this or look at this particular section of scripture first john chapter one five through ten uh, john writing his epistle the first of the three epistles that we have uh in the canon and uh when you look at the beginning of this book particularly the first four verses of this book it's almost as if John wants to summarize essentially what he started uh, in his gospel account, uh, particularly first or John chapter one, verses one through 18, kind of give a review of that. And then he's going to give the rest of this message uh, from that perspective. And just reading verse five, it says, this is the message which we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The him there being Jesus uh, as far as markings go, I actually circled uh, the word him and I drew an arrow up to verse three where I underlined son, Jesus Christ. Then from there, drew an arrow back up to verse two, where it says the life was made manifest, you know, in a reference back to uh, Jesus, John chapter one, and verse four, John chapter one, and verse 14 as well. And then from there, drew a line up uh, to the top where it says that which was from the beginning. Uh, in the word of life, and that obviously has a lot of uh, similarities between what he wrote as far as uh, the first verse in John chapter 1 and uh, verse 1, uh, 1 through 3 and 4. All right, we're back. Had some technical difficulties, but we are back on it. Again, we're in First John 1, 5 through 10, and we're talking about uh, 1, uh, chapter four, or chapter 1, verse 5. We circled the word him. This is the message that we have heard from Christ. So John is talking about uh, conveying what he either heard from John from Christ as an apostle. Uh, many will look at this and they'll say, well, there's nothing in the gospel accounts 
that uh, a dialogue or a discourse by Jesus. Uh, maybe that's the case. We obviously don't have everything that Jesus said while he was here on this earth. So there's nothing out of reason saying that John didn't hear this firsthand as Jesus walked this earth. Uh, but even if Jesus didn't say anything along these lines, uh, the premise of what is being talked about here, Jesus more than covered while he was here on this earth. But you could also make the case according to John 16 that these words are from Jesus uh, via the Holy Spirit. Anyway, so why the controversy uh, arose over it, I'm not sure. But uh, these are the. This is a, a message that Jesus uh, has given through John that we are to hear. And I've underlined that phrase, "God is light," and I just put two words next to it: absolute and illumination, uh, because I think that's what light from this standpoint, is meant to convey concerning God. If you have a reference Bible, you're probably going to have next to that phrase, uh, chapter 4, verse 8 of 1 John, as well as John 4, verse uh, 24. God is love and God is spirit, respectively. Uh, listing the characteristics of it, light here is the same thing, and, and that's the character of God in two senses. The first sense in absolute being that every attribute of God is perfect and it's without flaw. So you consider his holiness, his honesty, his righteousness, uh, his knowledge, his capability, whatever it is about God that we want to characterize him with, he's absolute in that facet. And it's, it's perfect and it's good. There's no negative facet of God's character that exists. And I think that's emphasized with that second statement in him is no darkness at all um, but the illumination facet of god as well in the sense that light uh, illuminates you go into a dark room you turn on the light and then you are able to see everything that's in the light there's nothing about god from the, that what we need to know as his creation that he has not revealed to us uh, he's revealed to us him his nature his expectations and his promise if we uh, do obey what he tells us to do and, and meet the expectations that he has. Uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 is a verse that I've written out next to that under illumination, uh, where it says that you know, even the power and the Godhead of God can be seen through creation so that they are without excuse, as well as Hebrews 11 verse 3, the things that are seen were made by that which does not appear as well as uh, verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11 uh, that, that if we're going to be pleasing to God we have to know that he is and a reward of those that diligently seek him so uh, light is a fitting word here uh, concerning God because it shows the perfection of God and it shows that God has revealed himself man has no excuse for not knowing God if man doesn't know God it's because man has refused to know God not because God has not revealed himself and kept himself a mystery what do you have in verse 5 so the first thing that I have on verse 5 actually in a more general way uh, I have written down um, 1 John 5.13 and 1 John 2 and verse 2 and 1 John 1 and verse 4 as the three purpose statements of the book. And I like to study those backwards. I, like, I think they paint an interesting picture, right? I've written these things to you so that you can know that you have eternal life. I've written these things to you so that uh, if you sin, uh, that sin can be taken care of. You have an advocate with the Father. 
and I've written these things unto you so that your joy may be full. So real joy comes by knowing that we have eternal life, which is a reality whenever we know that our sin is forgiven. So I put those together and then start asking myself, all right, so how is John developing that theme beginning in verse five after we get through the prologue, you know, the introductory remarks and keep working our way through the book? So that's the first thing that uh, that I have. And then the second thing that I did is um, I just in my Bible, I just made a, a, a two columns uh, one column for light and one column for darkness, because, you know, as you said, we're we're number one. John is making a, a statement about the character of God. He's not a light. He's he is light. It's who he is and everything that that means, everything that's good and holy and righteous and just and and so on. And then when he says in him is no darkness, I have marked in my Bible that in uh, the Greek New Testament, that is emphatic. He is light and in him there is no darkness to be found, none whatsoever of any kind, not even a speck of darkness can be found in him. And since John tells us this is the message that we've heard from him talking about Christ, the first thing that I did as I turned back to the book of John, as you, you know, made that connection and just looked a little bit at what Jesus said in John about light and darkness and uh, particularly how it's connected with God. And so, of course, you start in the prologue, John 1, 4, John 1, 9, uh, John 8 and verse, um, John 8 and verse 12, uh, Jesus said, um, I'm the light of the world. Uh, John 12, verse 35 and 36 would also be uh, a context to look at. Jesus talks about uh, not uh, uh, that the, the light will only be with you a little while, so walk while you have the light. And the passage that really stands out to me, because it includes both the light and darkness, is John three nineteen to 21, where Jesus said that this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because dark, uh, light exposes the darkness and shows it for, shows it for what it is. And then outside of the book of John. That's good. You know, I have. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're, you're good. You cut out for there for just a second. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say outside of the book of John, you know, I've got uh, Habakkuk one thirteen came to mind. Thou art a purized and to behold evil and cannot even look on iniquity. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Uh, the way of the wicked is darkness, Proverbs 4 and verse 19. And uh, one of my favorite contexts, in the New Testament is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 and following. And you have a, a contrast, which is a great little commentary on Romans 1, incidentally. But you have a great little contrast between the useless way, the empty, vain, useless way that the world lives. And he describes that as walking in darkness. 
in contrast with the new man whose mind has been, you know, created uh, anew in Christ Jesus. And, you know, you've not so learned Christ and so on, but uh, you've got some kind of practical things in that context that will explain both light and darkness. Uh, so that was uh, something mm -hmm. else that, that I wrote down. That's good stuff. Um, and I, and I like, I appreciate you bringing out all the, the light passages because that is a theme throughout the new Testament. Uh, yeah. there is no definite article in the Greek, uh, before light at all. And, uh, that's his character. Yeah, like the, like you mentioned, he's not a light. He's not even the light, but he is just light. And, and, uh, and I appreciate you bringing out that emphatic, uh, nature of that. You have anything else on five before we go to six? No, but I will say this, just connected with light and particularly with the gospel account of John and first John, this, this may surprise you and anybody else, but the gospel account of John and first John to me are two of the most difficult books in the entire Bible to wrap my head around. And I think a lot of that's just because of the way that my brain's wired up. You know, I like Paul, I like Romans because there's a very clear purpose statement. And then that purpose statement is unpacked very clearly proposition after proposition. But then when I look at the book of John uh -huh. or even first John to an extent, you know, you have themes and you have images and I'll look at it and I'll outline it and feel pretty good about it. And then I'll come back two days later and think, you know, that's, that's, it's wrong. I need to do it a different way. And it just, it, it kind of blows my mind a little bit, but of course, light is one of the great images and one of the great, you know, metaphors throughout the book of John. It's a great study. Yes, absolutely. Um, I understand what you're saying. I'm actually the opposite of you. I think I understand uh, these a little more than Ro Romans was ha hard, hands down the most difficult study I've ever had. Um, I even yeah. think uh, Romans is probably more, in at least in my opinion, a more difficult study than Revelation, uh, personally. Um, but uh, Tom Waycaster actually described John, First John, the way it, it moves as if... Um, walking up a spiraling staircase and uh and there's uh pictures on each side and as you go it's just kind of you kind of come back to it come back to it as you go up yeah. which i thought was an interesting way to describe it yeah uh, that's really good and, actually I've at least you know for me good. makes it a little more makes it a little more easier for me to understand how it moves uh from that perspective and so uh, moving on to verse six says if <clears throat> verse six and seven, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. What do you have on those two passages? So first thing, um, oh. I actually just preached a sermon on this last Sunday night. And I called it three forms of self-deception. Uh, I had never noticed this before, but, you know, verse six, verse seven, verse, and then I'm going to get ahead of ourselves a little bit, but then verse eight, right. verse nine, verse 10, we have ifs, we have conditional statements. And yeah, if you go to really two, what one, you two, have, you have to fix one. 
Yeah, right. What you really have here are three ways that we lie to ourselves. You have the problem and then you have the answer. The problem in verse six is someone says, I am right with God, but your demonstration and the way that you live falls short of what you say or think about yourself. Your demonstration doesn't match your proclamation. So the solution to that is walk in the light, verse seven. Uh, verse eight, uh, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Uh, but if the, that's the problem, the solution is confess your sins. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, and I think the difference here is that verse eight deals with like a present condition. Not that John is trying to say that we're sinners because we're not, but that even as Christians, we struggle with sin and have areas in, in life that we need to improve on. Whereas verse 10 would be looking in the past, like sin's never been a problem for me ever. And then the solution comes in in chapter two, verse one and two. Uh, so anyway, that's the first thing that uh, that I have written out in, in verse six and seven. Uh, you have to talk about the word fellowship and, you know, define that word, uh, sharing, joint participation, uh, really the idea of oneness. And mm -hmm. uh, I went to John uh, 17 and looked at some of the statements in John 17, you know, Jesus's desire in that prayer, uh, to summarize it, he wants his followers to know God and he wants his followers to be one with God and with one another and with him. So having fellowship with God, being one with God, being in a, in a, in a right relationship with God. Uh, then the middle of that passage, we lie and do not practice the truth. I, I don't remember who this was. I didn't write the source down, but someone translated it this way. We're not living in truth. And mm -hmm. I like that because of what's coming next in verse seven, where you use, where you, um, uh, you have the word walk. So I have a lot in these two passages because I, I, I did a little side study on self-deception. And uh, I was a little bit surprised at how many passages throughout the scripture, Old and New Testament, have something to say about self-deception. Um, you know, some of the obvious ones came to mind, like uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, but then there were so many more. And uh, I was particularly uh, uh, interested in the number of times that that shows up in Isaiah and in Jeremiah. Several times in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, and I was just going through, um, I have a book in my, in my Logos library called the Dictionary of Bible Themes. So I just punched in self-deception. And in one passage after another, it comes up in Isaiah and Jeremiah, and, and it's, a lot of it is connected with going into Babylon and, you know, we're not really going to go. Well, don't be deceived. Uh, the false prophets, you know, tickle your ears. Well, don't believe them. You're, right. you're, you're lying to yourself. It just keeps coming up over and over and over again. And then, of course, the word walk indicating, you know, a, a manner of life, uh, a lifestyle. Um, you also have to talk about the, the present tense verbs. 
in, in verse 6 and verse 7, um, having fellowship with him, lying and not practicing the truth, walking, having fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus cleansing us from all sin. I mean, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. I'll pump the brakes and let you take over now. No, that's good. And I'm glad you brought up. So I highlighted in my Bible um, 6, 8, and 10 in the same color, uh, red, pink, however you want to do it. And then 7, 9, and then the verse verse of, of chapter 2, which I don't know why they broke the chapter there. Uh, personally, I think chapter 2 probably should have started in chapter 2 and verse 7. And this should have. And then the first six verses of chapter 2 should actually have been the last verses of chapter 1. But. Uh, I didn't do it, so I'm not going to complain too much. Um, but <clears throat> I put seven, nine, and, and then the first chapter or verse, verse of chapter two in blue uh, for that reason, which you were saying. There's uh, six conditional statements. Uh, if we say we do this, this is how you rectify it. If we say we do this, this is how you rectify it. I also like the fact you pointed out the three emphatic statements uh, or the three statements made, uh, they're antithetic claims, meaning. That if an individual makes this claim, they are 100% in direct, unequivocal opposition to God. And that's the point that he's making. If you say you have fellowship with him while you walk in the darkness, there is absolutely no agreement between you and God. If we say we have no sin, uh, we deceive ourselves. But you are, And part of that deception, and I think it ties back to that saying we have fellowship with him, yet at the same time saying we have no sin, well, where's the deception? Deception is we don't have fellowship with him. Uh, and then again, I didn't agree with you at the very end as well. In verse 10, uh, sin has been an issue in which we have dealt with. Sin is an issue that the Christian still continues to deal with. You can't let your guard down. No one's immune to the wiles of Satan. Uh, I think the life of an individual, particularly if you talk to someone who's older, sins that maybe I struggled with 20 years ago that I don't necessarily struggle with today are, are different. And yeah. uh, as we progress as experience and, and life and, and all that, but there are things that I didn't struggle with 20 years ago that I may struggle with today, 20 years later because of how life works. And so, uh, and I, I like that you pointed out that deception, you know, it's almost as if once you maybe get over, and I want to say master, uh, a temptation, but once something no longer becomes a temptation, then there's always something else to pop its head up, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So, so, uh, letting down your guard is, is never a, uh, opportunity or, or something we should do regardless of how old we get, regardless of where we are at our life and so forth. And, and I think he does, he points that out. Um, I put first John, uh, chapter two and verse 21, uh, next to the word lie, um, where he says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. And the point being is the word here, lie, is not something uh, saying we have fellowship him while we walk in the darkness is not something that's said out of ignorance. In other words, this is just a flat out lie. This is someone who says he has fellowship with God, knowing 
that he walks in contradiction to God, yet he says this to deceive somebody. And I think you're starting to see uh, some of the the issues, whether it's Gnosticism um, or whatever, um, Docetism, and I forgot what the third one that is possibly being, but uh, I think you're starting to see that uh, come out in, in what he's combating uh, with the church as far as uh, the first century goes. And then uh, do not practice the truth. I put Colossians 3.17, uh, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Second uh, Thessalonians 2.17, comfort your hearts and establish them every good work and word. And then uh, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Point being, it's not one thing. To, it's not enough to say that we have fellowship with God but it's something we have to put in practice and an action that has to uh, coexist with the words that we are saying. And John's pointing that out here as well. Uh, then moving on to verse seven. And I like the fact, and I appreciate the fact that you put <coughs> the present tense verbs, uh, walking in the light is a present tense verb. You get it. And I think it needs to be mentioned here that in order to walk in the light, one must first put himself in the light. Uh, through the water of baptism, Acts chapter two, Mark or uh, Romans chapter six, Mark sixteen sixteen. Uh, so I won't get into it, but uh, there has to be that implication here uh, that we're talking to Christians from a context standpoint. These are people who have put themselves in the light, and so John's making the point that you have to continue to walk in the light. It's not enough just to be there and sit there, but there's action that's involved from a continual basis. Uh, as he is in the light talking about God. And then I know I just numbered uh, these two things, uh, the two things you have in the light. You have fellowship with one with one with another. That's those who are walking in the light alongside you. Uh, but what's interesting, and that's, that's, a, that's a given, but what's interesting about this is you also have the blood of Jesus cleansing us from all sin and cleanses there is a present active verb as well. So it continually takes place. Mm -hmm. And what I think needs to be pointed out here is that that forgiveness takes part in the light and, and this misconception that when the, the child of God messes up, that they're out of the light and then they have to get back in the light and then they're out of the light again. And then they're, you know, and they're kind of walking in and out of the light, Steve Higginbotham uh, described it like this, and I thought this was yeah, at least helped me understand it. He talked about a fresh blanket of snow one morning, undisturbed, and uh, he and his two children were running, uh, were going somewhere, so they were making their way to the car. His son, he said, darted out into the snow and was just running all over the yard, uh, playing in the snow. His daughter, however, not wanting to get her feet wet, uh, was walking behind him on the way to the car, trying to mimic his footsteps. Mm. And she, he said, as he pulled out and he saw the, the landscape of that snow that had been disturbed by him and his two children, he said, it's the perfect illustration. He said, because his daughter, her, the, the footprints were not perfect uh, because his strides obviously bigger than her. So you could see how she was trying to stay within his footprints, but at times uh, wasn't able to do so. Whereas in the sun just ran all over the yard. There was no regard for staying in the path that he had cut with his own footprints. 
And he used that to describe this. Walking in the light is the person who is striving to stay in the example that Christ has set and on occasion messes up versus the one walking in the darkness is the one who has no regard for what Christ, the example Christ led and is just going about doing whatever they want. And that's the difference between the two. The, the he, he described a, a kid who saw his father <clears throat> um, mowing the lawn on a hot day, wanted to get him some lemonade, dragged the chair across the table or across the floor, scuffed up the floor, went to get the cup, knocked a couple out, broke the glass, set the cup on the ground, poured the lemonade, made a mess all over the floor. And then as he was walking out the hand, uh, the lemonade to his dad, he tripped and fell and it splashed it all over his dad. And then he described the other kid who was angry at the father or had no regard for the father, purposefully drug the chair across the table and scuffed or across the floor, scuffed it up in order to get the glass, knocked glasses out of the way, broke them, uh, dumped uh, the lemonade all over the floor as he was pouring in and just left the jug there to pour out the rest and then walked outside and splashed it on the father's face. Now you look at, at both situations from the father's standpoint, you're going to handle one different than the other. One was a uh, completely, uh, the intentions were good, but they messed up versus the other one who was just a high handed rebellion. But you look at the results of what happened, it's all the same. Scuffs on the floor, broken glass, messes everywhere, lemonade all over the father. But it was the intention. Uh, and I wrote next to verse 7, direction, not perfection. And it's really about, and, and we would understand it as a father if our child made those same mistakes on accident. Uh, and it's, it's, in my opinion, preposterous to think that if we could understand it from our perspective, that God's not looking at it and understanding it from the same way we would. Yeah. I like those illustrations. I hadn't heard what that else you have on. Uh, one thing that I did when I wrote this sermon outline is I, one of the things I like to do, if I look at a text in a book, when I get to the application of it, I try to find it in that same book. So mm -hmm. I went through first John chapter two with uh with uh particularly with darkness and said you know here are four things in first john 2 verse 9 and 10 he says if you hate your brother you walk in darkness and then you have chapter 2 verse 15 to 17 loving the world uh 18 to 23 following uh antichrists uh 24 to 27 turning away from truth so of course that's not that doesn't exhaust the application of walking in darkness, but uh, I thought those were four good examples. That's good. I also have first. Uh, I meant to put this, but first, uh, first Kings fifteen five next to uh, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Talking about David, uh, it says David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Uh, that's not yeah. to say that the only time David sinned was in the matter of Uriah, but that's, you go back to the snow illustration during that time with Uriah, second Samuel chapter 11 and, and part of verse 12 before, uh, he confesses his sin and, and repents. Uh, Daniel was running through the snow without any regard for the path, uh, set forth by God, uh, 
But you look at it saying that, uh, and I think this just justifies uh, what John is saying here. It doesn't mean that David never sinned outside of Uriah. He took the census when he shouldn't have done it. And there's some other areas. Uh, and, and we obviously know better uh, just from implication. Uh, but it yeah. says that he he was walking. Uh, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord with that one exception. And, and I think that justifies what's being said here. Um, I also yeah. have first John five verse 13, which you mentioned earlier that you may know you have eternal life. And, uh, that's a luxury of walking in the light is, is, uh, we can know, uh, we don't have to lay a lot, uh, lay awake, uh, sleepless nights, wondering if there's something that we forgot or something we didn't realize, uh, because that's that's opposite of the nature of God. And, you know, chapter four is going to talk about God is love. And I think that's one thing that I think people maybe I'll, I'll just say forget is that God wants us to succeed. Uh, and so uh, we have to quit looking at God from this standpoint of uh, he's just sitting there waiting to punish us, looking forward to, to casting someone into darkness and so forth. That's the exact opposite. He wants everyone saying Peter three, nine and uh, so forth. So <clears throat> anything else on seven before we um, six and seven, before we move on? Nope. I think that's it. Verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do you have there? Two two things, really, two major things. The first the first thing is uh, I, I think that it is important, building on what we've already said, to just draw a line or make a connection from confession to cleansing in verse 7 and walking in the light. Uh, in verse, uh, also in verse seven, you know, it all works together. As you mentioned, good, good illustration. Um, but I would make that connection. And the other thing that I, that I wrote down here is, I guess probably there might be some Christian somewhere who might, you know, overtly just say, you know, I'm, I'm good. I've mastered, you know, temptation and sin is not a struggle for me. But I think that probably would be the exception. But I thought about Hebrews chapter two and verses one through three, where the Hebrews writer talked about uh, letting things, uh, being, being careful, lest you drift away into unfaithfulness. And he's really talking, I think, uh, uh, to a large degree in that context about just, just being forgetful and being careless, you know, like the, the Christians were not necessarily going out and overtly looking for ways they could sin. They weren't like the people who, you know, go to bed and lay down at night and, ask themselves, how can I sin better tomorrow? Mm -hmm. But through our, our carelessness, uh, just letting our guard down, we can be like uh, a ship or like a boat that is not anchored or tied to the harbor. And you wake up in the next morning and the, the tide and the waves have carried it out to sea. And it can happen fast before you know it. Paul, remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, let he who thinks he stands uh, take heed lest he fall. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what comes to my mind with verse number eight. That's, uh, that's great. And I like what you made about the tide because I heard someone make that point culture today. You, you look at society in the 50s, 60s, the 70s of the past century to it today and how far culture has, has shifted away. Uh, the world, the country today was obviously closer to God 50, 60, 70 years ago than it is today as sure. a whole. Um, and, and he made that point that, uh, like you said, the negligence, if, you, if you're not anchored into uh, tide will pull you further away and when you look back you're going to be it's it's just like when you float i don't know if you ever floated in the ocean or in a river or something like that with your eyes closed and then you you kind of open your eyes and you look back at the shoreline and realize you've drifted out a lot further sins the same way you know when you let your guard down uh and i think that's a great point you know i don't think a lot of people just go out setting out to sin uh when I say a lot of people, people in the church don't just set out to to rebel against God, majority. But it's it's that frog in the water, and eventually it 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 cooks you when you when you don't want. If we confess our sins, I've underlined it. It literally means in the Greek to be in agreement with God. Uh, that's that's what confessing sins is. It's one an admittance that sin has been committed, and two an acknowledgement that the sin committed is serious in nature. And I think that's maybe where we can, we can fall into a trap is not acknowledging just truly how serious sin is. And the only way to do that is to look at it from the standpoint of God, not us, not culture, not even how we feel uh, or what we think, because the world has a tendency to downplay it. Well, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't steal. I just told this little white lie or I was a little dishonest here, whatever it is. And we tend to write it off as not that big in nature. Well, that's, that's not the case. We have to acknowledge sin the same way God does. And, and that's that idea of confessing our sins, being in agreement with God. And to do that, uh, we have to have to look at sin the same way God looks at it. Uh, I've circled uh, truth in verse eight, and I'll just read verse 10 and go down. If we say we have not sinned, we have make him a liar and his, his word is not in us. I underlined true or I circled truth and I circled word and drew the line because I think John's very intentional here. The truth is not in us and his word is not in us. But John 17 uh, verse 17, thy word is truth. Uh, what is truth? Truth is the Bible. Truth is God's word. Uh, and that goes back up to what we were talking about earlier about God being light, the illumination. He's made his will known unto us. He's made the truth known. We can walk in the light. We can walk in truth. We can practice truth. We can speak truth uh, because the truth has been given to us. It hasn't been hidden from us. What do you have on, on those? Uh not, not much more than what you've got, but I'll tell you one thing that really did kind of catch my attention, and I forgot to mention this earlier. The fact that God is described as being faithful and just in forgiving us of our sins. And uh, I guess for the longest time, I just read over that and didn't really, didn't really hit me, didn't really stop and think about it. But how is it that God is faithful and, ju and just in forgiving us of our sins? 
And the only thing that I can think of is that God has promised that this is what he will do. So it's one more, uh, you know, one more thing that speaks to his character. And it, it also is one more thing that should give us some confidence, right? I mean, First John, among other things, is a book about confidence. God doesn't want his people, you know, living their lives every day. Like, you know, I wonder if I'm right with God today. I'm not sure. That's not that's not how God wants us to live. Well, one of the ways that John says, you, you know, you can have confidence is, you know, that God has promised to forgive sins. And God has sent forth Jesus as the propitiation for our sins. Right. Romans three starts talking about God being just in forgiving sins. Uh, and he can do that because Christ is the propitiation. So take some take some confidence in the, the the promises and the faithfulness of God to recognize, you know, that you're trying, you're living right, you're trying to be better today than you were yesterday, but you're not perfect. And he recognizes that and he'll keep his promise to forgive your sins. That's excellent. Excellent. And I, I just, I connected confess sins with say we have no sin in verse eight, because yeah. uh, I think that's just the perfect illustration. You're either in agreement with God or you're not in agreement with God. Um, but what's not the case is the fact that sin exists and, and it's either we can admit it or not. And so, uh, excellent thoughts there. Uh, you have anything else? And, and I like the fact that you made that faithful and just to forgive us our sins to me personally. And, and there are a lot of facets of God that, that I admire and, and love and appreciate. But one that at least me that sticks out is the consistency of God. Yeah. Uh, there's no, there's no guessing if that makes sense. Um, sometimes and I'll just use myself as an example as a father. Uh, there are going to be some things I'll say, I walk into the door of my house today and the kids are doing whatever some days based on how my day went, what they're doing may pull a different reaction out of me. Uh, I may get angry at what they're doing. Other times I may let it go other times because of the day I may think it's funny what they're doing, uh, but it's all dependent upon how I'm being affected throughout the day and my mood and all that. Whereas right. in God, that's not the case. Uh, and that's, that's, I think why one of the reasons I admire uh, that character of him so much is that there's no guesswork. There's not a how's God woken up today and, and how's it going to handle things. Uh, it's yeah. consistent throughout. So I appreciate you bringing that out. Anything else? No, man, that's it. Well, I appreciate it, man. That was good. Uh, we're at 45 minutes right now, so uh, that went by a lot quicker than I expected. But uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for the time. Uh, you brought out some some great things that I'm definitely going to have to go back and look over. So appreciate it. Uh, for those who have made it through this far, uh, which I hope's all of you, thank you for listening. And again, uh, like, share, subscribe help us grow. Appreciate all y'all do. And we will talk to y'all later. We're out.